Deke, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Super excited for the convo. Be a lot of fun talking about CLS Sustainable, talking about HomeDAO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Glad to be here. Getting the whole planet just onboarded with mm-hmm. next gen energy technologies. Yeah. It's a no brainer. And it's great because there's already epic developers like you guys, like CLS Sustainable, that have been doing it and that have been onboarding and have been um, making people happy, uh, commercial and industrial especially, um, and even residential, yep. uh, with their new Technologies, I mean, making people happy with those new tech. Mm-hmm. So, and keeping Earth just in a nice, healthy, sustainable, regenerative style of prosperity instead of one that um, is short term thinking. Mm-hmm. This now we're long term thinking, which right. is great. Yeah. So, this is the second episode of home Dow podcast which i'm super excited about yeah yeah uh, first one was with andy and it's cool because uh gce also and uh, guaranteed clean energy and cls um have a, had an ongoing partnership now for quite some time and like uh in just serving the transition to mm-hmm. clean energy technologies and so now cls is also coming on board as a dev of home Dow too as that uh, is beginning to roar and take off. So I would love to read the bio of Deke to give you guys a little bit of a better understanding of um, how exactly he has been um, building holistic energy systems and how he's continuing to do so. So he's co-founder and CEO of CLS Sustainable, a commercial, industrial, and community solar developer in EPC, engineering, procurement, and construction. CLS provides a holistic approach to achieve renewable energy goals for people and organizations they serve, including early stage development, engineering, procurement, construction, project finance, operations, and maintenance. Deke was named Entrepreneur of the Year for the Energy Industry by the American Business Awards in 2019 and 2021. Yes, sir. That's an awesome goal. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Such a cool award. Nice. And you guys can find the links in the bio below, clssustainable.com. Also, Deke's LinkedIn profile is down there, as well as all the HomeDAO links. Deke, let's jump into things by understanding like your journey through energy itself. So um, this, this is actually my, my 20th year in the energy industry. So I started uh, back in 2002, 2003 in the oil and gas industry. So kind of a complete opposite of where I am today, right? Uh, it was more on the finance end uh, where I was working with a small independent operator here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we were drilling for natural gas wells, uh, which at the time we're, we're right on top of right now, but which is the Barnett Shale. Um, at the time, it was the largest natural gas uh, field that was discovered. Um, nobody knew how to really tap into it, though, because it was a tight shale formation. And in 2003-2004, a gentleman by the name of George Mitchell with Mitchell Energy, he he had, there's always been frack technologies, 
but he had come out with this slick water frack where they used a ton of sand and used it as a propent to hold open the, the layers of the shale to then release the hydrocarbons, hmm. right? Um, at that point in time, Devon Energy came in, uh, acquired Mitchell Energy, and then a bunch of your larger independents, and at that time made a bunch of these uh, oil and gas firms like your Chesapeake Energies, your Devon Energies, EOG Resources, they all moved into these shale plays, and where they're, they're naturally rich in hydrocarbons, whether it be oil and or natural gas. Uh, this one specifically was natural gas. But what my job was is we would actually raise capital to go out and drill wells uh, in the Barnett Shale. And uh, I did that for about three or four years. Um, and at the time, um, again, with all these larger organizations moving in, uh, the company I was with actually got acquired. So it was either make that transition or, or kind of go out on my own. And, I, and I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So uh, I said, you know what, what the heck, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And, and uh, I had opened up my first oil and gas company in, in 2007. Um, we had acquired some acreage in another shale play, which was emerging at the time called the Fayetteville Shale in Arkansas. And we did some drilling out there. Uh, and, and again, uh, with, with frack technologies back then. And back then you didn't, no, nobody really understood uh, the the negative effects of, of what fracking was actually doing, right? Um, I'm sure you've seen it on TV shows or even in movies, right? The Matt Damon movie where people actually had fire coming out of their, their water faucets, right? That their gas coming out of their water faucets that they could then light and fire up. So, you know, seeing that kind of detriment at this point, I was, I was probably in my, my late to, or, or mid to late 20s and it, 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 you kind of had blinders on, right? You, you, you knew stuff was happening, but it, it wasn't one of those things that was really at the forefront of your mind. It was just, how can we exploit the hydrocarbons? How can we pull them out, right? Um, so I did that for a couple of years on my own. Um, we were dealing with an operator that was out in Arkansas who ended up uh, actually taking um, some of our capital investment that we had, we had injected into him. And, and took off. Uh, fortunately for us, we actually acquired the leases beforehand. So I was able to take the leases over and by default, I became an operator myself. And so I, I, an operator is just a, kind of more of a, in a construction term as someone who's overall operating the well, drilling the well, um, organizing everything. And I don't have really, a, I didn't have at the time a geological background, right? Uh, so we just hired the right types of people. and. We ended up drilling and operating our own wells for several years. We did Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. Um, and then there's obviously a bunch of cyclical up and downs in, in the oil and gas industry, as I'm sure you've heard. But specific to with what we were doing um, on the capital raising side, right, we were dealing with not only accredited investors, but financial institutions who would then fund these drilling expeditions. Um, 2008 happened and with the housing market crashing and then the financial market crashing. Um, I, I remember, and this was me being super, super naive at a young age, was, was telling myself that it probably wasn't going to affect us as much as it's, it's affecting other people, right? Because we're drilling for oil or gas, it's either there or it's not there. Um, you know, and it's a safer place, I guess you could say, with a certain unpredictability that shale plays had. For, for people to put their money, right? Um, but again, not knowing and, and being really naive about the situation was everybody was holding on to their money. Nobody wanted to release it at that, at that point in time. So um, I had just recently gotten married. We had our, we had our, our daughter, right, uh, that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And 
my wife was just saying, hey, we can't deal with these ups and downs anymore, right? We need something a little bit more level, which, which I, I agreed with. And being on the investment side, one of the key questions we used to always get was, what do you guys have in renewables? Nice. Uh, right? Yeah. And so my job at the time, being in, in oil and gas was, well, you don't want to do renewables, right? Uh, we're dealing with fossil fuels and things of that nature. And it was, it was more at the infancy stages on the renewable sector where, where not a lot of people knew what was going on anyways. Um, but it, it, it helped open my mind. And then if you couple that with everything about the oil and gas industry and, and the pollutants and the gases and everything else that it's releasing into the environment, um, I knew from more of a, a morality perspective yeah. and an ethical standard is that there's got to be some better ways to approach this whole energy thing, right? Yeah. And, and how can we do that? And how can we accomplish it? And how can we at least play a small part in that transition? So being here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, again, you know, a, a, a mecca for, for the oil and gas industry here in Texas, is there weren't a bunch of companies that were doing renewable or solar or wind or anything of that nature. Um, but I was, I was lucky enough through a lot of due diligence is that I, I had found a local company that was dealing with the residential market. And um, I've been in sales since I was 16, 17 years old. So I felt, you know, if anything, I can kind of go back and rely on sales skills and, and, and see what I can do there. And so I got connected uh, and I got hired on as a sales professional. And what we would do is we would go into people's homes and show them ways that they're able to reduce the consumption in their house, but also how they're able to tackle uh, an offset through solar panels, right? And installing solar on top of their home instead of gaining all their electricity from the utility grid. Yep. And, uh, and in doing that, right, and again, going back to my whole entrepreneurial spirit is, is there, there's, I'm always trying to find a better way to do things, yeah. right? And sometimes there aren't, sometimes there aren't. Um, but in this type of a, a situation that I was in, uh, the company that I was with kind of had a all-in-one package, right? Regardless of what your situation was, was you're getting this, 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 and that, right? And I had approached upper management with, hey, how, how about we come in and we actually customize this to the homeowner? Because I'm married, I have four kids, right? Uh, actually, my next-door neighbor who is single lives in the same size home that I'm in, right? However, our living habits are different. You know, he's gone at work all throughout the day, hardly ever using electricity. My wife is at home. We have one child that's being homeschooled. You know, the other, the other two are, 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 excuse me, the th two are in school and then one's in a daycare. So we're using a lot more electricity throughout the day, yeah. right? Above and beyond that, my comfort levels in my home might be different than my neighbors. So every living situation was going to be a little bit different. So how can we tailor make all of that to the homeowner's specific needs? And they felt it would be too trying to actually do that. So I said, you know what, I'm, I, can, I, can, I can do this, nice. right? Yeah. So I had uh, I left there um, and I started a company um, with two, two friends of mine, um, one that had a construction background, one that had a, a finance background as well. Um, and it was a perfect mesh and we created a company called Circle of Solar that we founded in, in 2014. Um, and that was giving this is my first entree into what a true holistic approach looks like. Yeah. Right. So we went into, we, we would train all of our sales reps to go in and actually give a very good audit. And that meant 
you're going into their attic, you're seeing what type of insulation levels that they have out there, right? We're taking thermal temperatures of the home. Um, we would do everything from reinsulate their attic, uh, but we would also do barrier type products, so a radiant barrier that would go on, on the rafters of a roof to create a, a more suitable environment inside the attic space, not only for the home and heat penetration into the house, but also think about HVAC equipment that is actually sitting up there in a not so great environment, right? You have an AC system trying to produce out, you know, 50 degrees, 60 degree air into your home. However, your ducts in the AC system is sitting in an attic that's 140 degrees, right? Kind of counterproductive, if you will. So um, we did all that. We, we brought in the holistic approach, uh, even through water heating solution, HVAC systems. We did high, high efficiency systems that were not your typical 14, 16 seer builder grade models, but we were doing 20 plus seer systems in homes where we could see a reduction just on that alone of between 25, 30% of consumption. Um, LED lighting and all that other good stuff. So we did that and uh, we, we, we grew pr pretty rapidly. Um, that's where the two entrepreneur awards came from. Uh, Circle Global is actually uh, a top energy company in 2019 as well through the American Business Awards. Sweet. And um, in a three-year period, we had a growth rate of over 2,200%. We were featured on Inc. Magazine's nice. uh, fastest uh, growing companies in the U.S., ranked 176. And with all this came some notoriety, but also some interest from from private equity firms and, and investment groups. So we actually ended up exiting that company in July last year. But throughout this process on the residential side is, you know, I thought, well, this is scalable. And not only is it scalable in, in the residential market to take it nationwide, but think about businesses, right? And the CNI industry and how many businesses are actually losing energy that could otherwise be rerouted and reused within their facility. But also think about how they're getting charged for electricity, right? And from a business's perspective, finances are, are key, right? It's the number one driver of why they'll make a decision on, on making an investment, whether it's solar or a new piece of equipment that's gonna make their, their, their facility run more efficiently. So it's like, how can we transition this to the CNI sector? So we started doing that, and this was prior to us, us exiting. We started doing that in about uh, in 2018, 2019, and we started to get good reception throughout the DFW market, and we actually started to get a really good reputation as well, and then that kind of grew nationwide. And so that's how we actually transitioned Circle of Solar into CLS Sustainable as a spinoff. And here we are today with CLS Sustainable. And we're a nationwide developer EPC. Um, CLS, our, our initiative when we first set out was to only handle the EPC perspective, which was the engineering, the procurement, the construction. And one of the things that we were finding as doing EPC work for, for other developers were a lot of developers weren't developing the project correctly. Right, so they would lean on us for a lot more of the development side of the work. So we actually took more of that on, and now we actually grew into more of a of a development firm and an EPC firm kind of combined. But again, it kind of goes with our whole mantra of, of bringing that holistic approach. And so it was one of those other things of how can we better service our our customers and our clients. And it's the more stuff that we can bring in house that we can eliminate, you know broker fees or third-party fees or things of that nature, well, it not only benefits us as an organization, but it also benefits the end user, right? Because now you're getting same product that, that's going to be superior in service, 
but you're getting it at a lesser rate. So it's kind of a win-win-win situation there. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I get long-winded, man. <laughs> I, lo- I love the trajectory. I love yeah. the history. I love how when you were sharing like some of these first knocks from the investors um, that were approaching the oil and natural gas side mm-hmm. of things, where, well, what do you guys have in renewables? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, because that those knocks are like the opening of the mind to new possibilities for sure um and also even like your wife saying like let's have something more stable yeah for our kids right that was another like little knock along yeah. the right um and i love the when when you when you <clears throat> began getting involved in residential solar i like how you also felt like a knock to a next level which was well how do we personalize this yes tailor it to each home as it as the needs of that home ask and that's another great one and then finding all the little um optimizations and efficiency mm-hmm. um so like the sales would go in and do the audit and the audit would cover the areas where like you said you wouldn't be trying to blow 60 50 60 degree fahrenheit cool air in to a home where the hvac uh area would be tr- would be trying to traverse a 140 Fahrenheit right. degree zone. So uh, all of that is a uh, it's like the nuggets right on the trail. Yeah. And and then the entrepreneurial spirit kicking in and like and um, and like really wanting to explore what renewables and next gen energy technologies were and um and then even making an exit like making yeah. an exit into cni mm-hmm. and um and just seeing like well and it's good being rewarded also with awards because and like getting more private equity interest and things like that because those are also signs along yeah. the way that damn things are going well yeah and there's actually a lot of like big money interested in um the transition mm-hmm. not just making money but also like there are ESGs and SDGs and these like initiatives that um, money is now more often needing to follow mm-hmm. um, for a sustainable, prosperous, abundant planet and future for generations to come. Yep. Um, there are several indigenous tribes that follow like a seventh generation principle mm-hmm. um, where they don't make action unless they know seven generations down the line it's going to be beneficial. Oh, wow. And so this is what clean energy technologies are about. Yeah. Um, so it's really thinking multi-generationally. Um, so I love also how you were sharing, like there's so many different aspects to um, the integ- to the to the EPC of uh, the CNI. And I would like to maybe uh, have you explain more about what is it like having a CNI project and having CLS fulfill that demand? So... Uh, Having a, having a CNI project and kind of going back to what you're talking about with ESG, right? We're we're seeing that mandate a whole lot more nowadays than what we were seeing even two years ago, and having a, a CNI project that is looking into renewables, whether it's a mandate or not, because we've dealt with some organizations, some high level organizations, where they're saying that we're getting mandates from a board of directors or from investors or from vendors that we're working with, that we have to meet these certain standards by let's say 2025 or 2030, right? So we wanna be proactive and start getting into it now. 
and we understand that focus but still at the end of the day unfortunately it's more financial driven than anything else right because again a lot of these organizations they're they're your fortune 100 or 500 a lot of them are publicly traded where they have a fiduciary responsibility to an investment group as well right that they have to make those types of wise decisions but from our perspective uh, again taking that and, and giving the off taker giving a giving a customer these solutions is we take everything from the initial concept right where we intake a project and this means we're collecting 12 months worth of electrical data right usage consumption not only on their electricity but also on the natural gas side as yeah. well so and who would be an average customer just as an example uh, an average customer um, it, it's really spread all across i mean it could be school districts right it could be municipalities but it could also be a uh, factory it could be a collision care center you know a, a, mm. a, a good sized one but i would say our average is going to be one that is consuming roughly or, or i should uh, for simplicity's sake have a spend of anywhere between 10 to twenty thousand dollars a month in utilities yeah. right cool. now don't get me wrong we also service your smaller cni customers that are only spending you know five thousand dollars a month and your larger ones that are spending seven figures a month on their utility spend cool so all across the board cool um, average though right there but we we intake the project um, first thing we do is an early stage due diligence and we want to make sure that a from uh, design side the feasibility to fit enough panels on top is going to make a significant dent uh, in what their consumption is uh, we also want to make sure from a utility perspective that there's no hiccups as far as uh, or hurdles I should say uh, when it comes to um, interconnecting the system to the utility. Um, we also want to figure out what their net, make, net metering policy is, uh, and that plays a significant role, which a lot of developers don't really do their due diligence on, um, mm -hmm. as far as how they're treating any type of excess generation that's being put back into the power grid. Um, <coughs> excuse mm -hmm. me. Some will give, uh, you know, what we call a one-for-one -one credit. Um, others give what's called an avoided cost, which is more down to a wholesale rate, which means I might be buying electricity from you at eight cents but anything I send back into the power grid is gonna you're gonna credit me back at three and a half let's say so there's that Delta that you're missing there so that goes into the whole design side and how we're designing and offsetting a system um, but we go through that early stage we run financials on it we figure out how the customer is looking to procure it whether it's through uh, any capital expenditures that they have available for it um, or any type of finance mechanisms that we can put in place for them, um, whether through power purchase agreements, energy services agreements, things of that nature. Um, and that plays a crucial part because obviously we want it to be a win-win for everybody, more importantly so for the client, and we need to make sure that we're making them cash flow positive from day one, yeah. right? Um, but after all that's put together and, and we package it up really nicely and we present it and go through not only all the financial benefits but you know from a sustainability side and more importantly from our side is what you're actually impacting and what you're contributing back to the earth so there's a really cool uh, couple pages on our on our uh, presentations that we do that show how many you know trees they're saving from being cut down you know how many uh, miles of cars from gasoline powered vehicles that we're taking off the road um, equivalent wise uh, yeah. that the sol solar system is going to produce for them. Nice. So then, 
we have a let's go through the example so we have a school um, muni factory whatnot these uh, bigger community projects that are um, applying or they're like deciding to want to explore working together with CLS and then um, is CLS um, mainly focusing on solar not necessarily so no wind is still CHP, which which energy technologies do you guys? So wind on site for distributed generation on the CNI side is not really that prevalent. Okay. Right. Um, you're going to see wind more on the on the utility set utility side. Um, we're looking at solar, but we're also looking at other types of generation systems, right? So if uh, like grocery chain, for instance, right, who has a bunch of chillers and coolers and everything throughout their facility, uh, that every time they're kicking on and off, there's big draws, big amperage that's being pulled. And so when they're doing that, most utilities are going to charge like kind of like a time of use or a demand fee, right, depending upon what time of day and what that cost is. So a lot of times when we're investigating a utility bill, we can find that those demand charges are sometimes 40 to 50% of what their overall bill is. So solar is only going to positively affect more of the supply side. Um, but we have some other generation types, whether it's, it's energy storage, battery energy storage, or in uh, situations like a factory or uh, cold storage facility or grocery chain, um, we can integrate combined heat and power solutions, which is CHP solutions. And those are natural gas fired generation that can offset and reduce that demand, but it also enables a facility to almost, almost island themselves. And I'm sure you've heard the term microgrid, right? So you can kind of somewhat create a microgrid for your facility where now solar CHP energy storage is your main source of, of energy. So good. And you're only using the utility as a backup. backup. Yeah. 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 Great. So that's the vision of working with CLS. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Love that. We don't want to be just one-sided and look at look at solar by itself, unless we do our investigation and we find out right that demand costs are too low, where CHP won't make too much of a difference, right? Uh, but here in Texas, and I'm sure as, as people have heard yeah. around the country, back in February of last year, you know the the, the power grid went down. Um, there were a ton of people who who were without electricity for for quite some time. Uh, Unfortunately, at uh, at the time we st I still had Circle L, but we had one of our workers who uh, lost electricity for him and his family, and ended up putting a generator in his home, and uh, ended up passing in the night because of all the carbon monoxide that was that was being released into his house just to keep his family warm. So, uh, but that those types of scenarios and situations. Um, we can't because of the way the infrastructure is it's so old it's outdated that we can't be totally and solely reliant upon them right this gives us an opportunity to kind of take those matters into our own hands yes produce electricity for ourselves be able to back up generation for ourselves yeah. almost island ourselves be resilient yes but do it at a cost that's less than what you're actually paying your current utility, utility which is so win-win-win no-brainer for I sure love it so then i love the conversation about the uh the microgrid or like the islanding yeah um, it's very interesting so so what the so what the cni existingly is paying in its monthly utilities will uh will decrease by 10% or something like that by this transition to solar and CHP or whatever. Um, 
and they're no longer going to be paying that amount. Correct. Because they're actually then, um, that's the cost that they're paying into the uh, the principal of or whatnot of the payment for the next-gen technologies. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So then they're going to be the owners also of the technologies after a period of maybe 10, 20 something years like that. Correct. Yeah. So in, in an outright purchase, they're an owner from day one. They can sign what's called an O&M or operation and maintenance agreement to have someone like ourselves come in and just keep up with the monitoring of the system, you know, maintain the system annually or every five years, whatever the case yeah. is. Um, but if they were to opt for, let's say, a, a PPA, a power purchase agreement, or an ESA, which is an energy services agreement, where we would facilitate everything, facilitate the financing, we could even own and operate the system, we maintain it throughout that ESA period. And like you were saying, it could be seven years, it could be 10, it could be 50, it could be as long as 25 years if they wanted it to be. Um, but it kind of makes it carefree from them in that perspective, but still even at the end, they're still owning their own power, right? Um, they're generating it on site. And after that ESA or PPA uh, period is up, they wholly take over that system. Cool. And so then, yeah, this is so <laughs> good. I just, it's, it's also very relaxing just hearing about it, really. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm just feeling that there's so many industries um, that are looking for this mm -hmm. and now to have it packaged into a solution that then makes it easily accessible and frictionless, as frictionless as possible and a win for them, a win for you, a win for the planet mm -hmm. um, is so, so good. The, the only kind of person that's not a win for is the old uh, infrastructures right and that's okay because um f there's going to be plenty of opportunity for them to sort of let go mm -hmm. of the old stuff and to get involved in the right. new stuff for sure um so you know it just reminds me of of uh you know the ones that were screaming for horses when cars were being invented yeah so it's it's cool like we can let go um, mm -hmm. of the old and yeah. and usher in the new. Yeah. Yeah. You always have that little uncomfortable um, uncomfortable period right where that transition is being made and I feel like that, that was a great analogy that you were saying with between the horses and the cars and we're seeing that now in the energy industry between fossil fuels and renewables and there does have to become a period where you do have to let go of those old methodologies. And, and start to adapt the new ones. And especially when they usher in independence and these microgrids, mm -hmm. um, these uh, no-brainers of then not being reliant on an externality um, mm -hmm. and paying more for that externality, but instead paying less and owning your own uh, renewable tech stack. Yep. So, so brilliant. This is, my, this is truly my favorite part of this um, this next-gen energy technologies movement and especially how this is all um, funneling into this like home DAO mechanism mm -hmm. yeah um, so let's let's talk about that so so CLS 
coming on board as a developer in the HomeDAO ecosystem. Um, so how did you guys get excited and involved about this and what excites you most about the mechanism itself? Yeah, well, uh, Andy Bittner with uh, GCE, whom we've worked with before in the past, um, had approached us with this uh, along with uh, another group that, that we're all involved with. And at the beginning, because I don't have too much knowledge uh, about you know blockchains and DAOs and things of that nature, I didn't at the time, um, it was a really, really interesting concept, right? And it was almost one of those things where it's like, man, this, this sounds too good to be true uh, type, type deal. Uh, but as uh, you know, Andy and, and some of our colleagues started explaining a little bit more and kind of just putting it down on paper, like this is what, it, what it's all looking at, uh, my partner Kevin and I looked at each other and like, man, we're, we're either gonna be involved in something that's really, really, really groundbreaking if we decided to move forward with this, and and I don't even think groundbreaking is the right word. I'm not even doing it justice, you know, what this could be. Um, or we're going to just kind of stick to our own methodologies and, and we're going to miss out on something big, right? <laughs> so it's like, do we want to jump in and take that risk? And, and we both had the same response and it was absolutely 100%. And so we're really, really excited that, that we've been asked to kind of join and help and participate. Um, I think what it means from us or, or from me personally is having my background in the in the financial industry and how everything is just so regulated, right? Um, and things can get at times political or politically driven in, in the finance world. Uh, this kind of decentralizes all of that, right? And and now uh, with like smart contracts and everything else, it, it's like there's these digital imprints that are already there that are proof. You, there's no way around it. Everybody has to be transparent, right? And I think that word transparent is a, is a, is a great buzzword nowadays, but I think people are overusing it, you, you know what I mean? But this is like the true spirit of transparency. Yeah. And, uh, and so everybody who is involved from investors to the developers to even the end users, they all have that same level of transparency versus we know things that you don't know and we know things that you don't know, right? So uh, that's probably one of the most exciting things about it is, cool. that, is that that transparency is there for, for all to see, not only um, which used to be the high level investor groups knew everything, right? And you knew a little bit and they didn't know much. Um, now everybody's on the same playing field. Yeah. Yeah. And another one that, um, that I got really excited about was when, when we were designing uh, the visual that we've had up in the, um, the previous episode we did with Andy, the first one, um, that there's a, a streamlining mm -hmm. of um, the funding yep. to the developers yep. for EPC. Yep. And uh, so will you talk also about like your excitement about that? Oh yeah, yeah. That 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 as far as the the back end and the execution part, the the funding aspect is is something I'm super excited about because now this allows developers and EPCs that are out there who have been looking for funding or looking for the right funding partners in order to get projects done. This kind of streamlines that process for them. It, it makes the process a lot easier for an EPC to bring a client 
to the DAO. So cool. Yeah, it, it is. It <laughs> so is. So good. And, and and so the end user who who we really want to benefit from the system the most, both financially and environmentally, gets to accomplish that right. As to where today, you know, trying to find a. a debt stack or, or, or capital stack that's going to finance one of these projects and you're having to go through big banks with big fees and big interest and all that other stuff um, everything kind of gets diluted before it gets to the end whereas this process kind of mitigates that yeah yeah mm. so good uh, and then um, how about um, how are the like existing how will home dow how will that help the sort of the existing funnel or pipeline mm -hmm. that is besides like the streamlining of funding and um i'm just envisioning all of these uh, prospective clients that are very interested in what cls uh can offer to them um and the home dow sort of like facilitating like the onboarding of this mm -hmm. process with the streamlining funds and stuff so you just speak to that yeah, so, and, and to be quite frank, uh, without no, having limited knowledge, I guess, on the process from the DAO's perspective, right now, if we were to onboard a, a client to go through a traditional methodology of getting a, a power purchase agreement or energy services agreement, there's a pretty long, drawn-out process that, that's in place, right, from um, gaining any type of credentials that they have when it comes to their credit, business credit, sometimes personal credit of the business owner, um, structuring a deal pro uh, properly, but then there's also the fees and everything else that are gonna be associated with that, origination fees and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, and again, it's a <laughs> it's, it's the back end part of that um, that I think the is gonna eliminate tremendously and, and make it so much simpler and easier for again all parties involved to go from point a to point b in a shorter period of time get there a lot quicker right and i think what that means for a lot of the epcs and developers that are out there unless you're a large developer large epc um, who have either a family office or a funding institution that, that you've been working with for quite some time it's a lot more difficult for your your smaller your mid-sized ones to cultivate and create those types of relationships to then be able to offer that to the off taker, right? Um, more importantly too, which I feel, and things that we've talked about around this structure is actually giving the opportunity for the EPC and for the developer to actually partake in the ownership aspect Huge. of that facility, exactly. which no financial institutions right now allow for developers or EPCs to, to come in and partake in that part. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. So then there's the inclusive stakeholding of the EPC in the development process, and there's the facilitation of all those things that you're listing as variables at the very beginning to sort of uh, not need, in a mm -hmm. sense, a lot of that, and to, or, or, and to simplify it down to smart contracts, For sure. in essence, and then to... Um, um, and then to take sort of the power, in a sense, a, away from the old um, and bring it to the, I love how you called it, the microgrid aspect, mm -hmm. um, which is like the, the ownership is local yeah. um, and it's next gen. Yeah. And um, this is so, so exciting. And um, we, we have had a shorter, like first episode, we could say, um, with Deke. Um, 
but this is great to even have had the first conversation about the history is so crucial sort of all these little nuggets on the way that got us to cls um and then what cls is and then also how we'll be involved in home yeah. so it's a good solid first episode and we'll uh we'll be able to revisit this as we continue um for sure blossoming this ecosystem we'll be able to revisit for continued um episodes and continued um, using this as like a magnet to like to attract people from around the world to get involved in this in this ecosystem of next gen technologies for energy production and for uh, meeting the needs of people worldwide yeah. um, and then so much cool uh, play is yeah. unlocked through that oh absolutely 100 yeah. percent yeah we're we're, we're uh, we're super excited about the opportunity we're, we're we're really excited that that we're we've been asked to be involved in this and uh, just can't can't wait to see where it takes us all yeah, and the stories are so good of like Deke and Kevin. Kevin's about to be the third episode on the Home Down podcast. Um, and like, and just what you guys have built out truly, like thank you for building this out, for dedicating your lives to building out the transition to the yeah. next gen tech and, uh, and for joining this mechanism. We're so exciting, bro. So exciting. It is. It is. Sweet. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Thanks to the audience for tuning in. We hugely appreciate you all. We would love for you guys to check out the links in the bio below. You can find the clssustainable.com link down there. You can find out Deke's LinkedIn profile, connect with him there. Um, you can also find the HomeDAO links below, the homedow.com. You can also find the, the Twitter down there, the YouTube down there, also the Discord down there if you'd like to join. And share this video if you feel like this brought uh, a new perspective for you um, and you feel like sharing it with other people do so that's probably the most powerful thing you can do share the actual video itself um, and you can also like the video to help boost it in the algorithm and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet thanks everyone we love you so much thanks for tuning in much love peace take out take care